0: Good morning. Can we get the first slide up, please? Do you like watching a house being built? Do you like watching a house being built? I have to confess, I do enjoy watching a construction. What is it that is so attractive in watching uh, the progress of a house being built, I think? Part of it is uh, it uh, starts as a little bit as a mystery at first, right? You, unless you are the architect and you know how things are supposed to work, uh, you watch and you see something coming up, and then something else coming up, and then you start realizing, okay, this will be the dimensions of the house. There's going to be a room here, maybe a bathroom over there. And you know slowly it takes shape. And, uh, and becomes hopefully a beautiful home at the end. Uh, we have the uh, privilege of, of looking at a construction site this morning. What construction will we be looking at? Let me suggest to you that it is a construction we read about in Ephesians chapter two. The, our passage today will be in Matthew, but uh, just in introduction. Paul writes to the Ephesians and says to them in verse 19 of chapter two, now therefore you are no longer strangers and foreigners, but fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God. Having been built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Jesus Christ himself being the chief cornerstone in whom the whole building being fitted together grows into a holy temple in the Lord, in whom you also are being built together for a dwelling place of God in the spirit. So the Lord is building a temple. He is building a great temple. And unlike the temple that Solomon built or others, have built. It's not made with uh, stones and bricks and mortar. It's made by people, specifically you and me. And today, as we look, uh, turn to the Gospel of Matthew, we will see the Lord beginning to build that temple. Now, we understand God has His plan of salvation, His work of building the temple, uh, and it, it spans ages. Uh, you could Uh, look to the Old Testament as the beginning of God's work, Uh, and we can look to today as God is still working. But I think there was something special when the Lord Jesus, so to speak, stuck the shovel in the ground and lifted that first clod of dirt in his earthly ministry. And we can look at that, and we will see the beginning of the kingdom that Christ was building, what it is that that God was putting together, that temple, the holy temple that Jesus was building, uh, we will see the beginning of that work in our passage today. And, of course, we want as much as possible to apply it to ourselves today. How is God building his temple today? What is my part in it, and how could I be better uh, doing it? The Gospel of Matthew, chapter 4, and verse 12. Now when Jesus heard that John had been put in prison, he departed to Galilee. And leaving Nazareth, he came and dwelt in Capernaum, which is by the sea, in the regions of Zebulun and Naphtali, that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken by Isaiah, the prophet, saying, the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali, by the way of the sea beyond the Jordan, Galilee of the Gentiles. The people who sat in darkness have seen a great light, and upon those who sat in the region and shadow of death, light has dawned. From that time, Jesus began to preach and to say, repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And Jesus, walking by the Sea of Galilee, saw two brothers, Simon called Peter and Andrew, his brother, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. Then he said to them, follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. They immediately left their nets and followed him. Going on from there, he saw two other brothers, James the son of Zebedee, and John his brother, in the boat with Zebedee, their father, mending their nets. He called them and immediately they left the boat and the father and followed him. And Jesus went about all Galilee teaching in the synagogues, preaching the gospel of the kingdom and healing all kinds of sickness and all kinds of disease among the people. Then his fame went throughout all Syria and they brought to him all sick people who were afflicted with various diseases and torments and those who were demon-possessed epileptics and paralytics and he healed them. Great multitudes followed him from Galilee and from Decapolis, Jerusalem, Judea and beyond the Jordan. The first thing we see in this passage is a, a turn in Jesus' ministry. It says, now when Jesus heard that John had been put in prison, he departed to Galilee. It suggests a certain connection between John the Baptist and Jesus's ministry. If you recall, John has been in the wilderness. He's been preaching to people a baptism of repentance. He called them to turn from their sins to God, and he told them that God's kingdom was coming. And so they needed to prepare themselves. Well, John, uh, in his preaching, uh, condemned the ruler of the land, that was Herod the Tetrach, and uh, he said that Herod wasn't following God. He took to himself, a, uh, for a wife, a woman that was already married to somebody else. And when John rebuked Herod for that, Herod put John in prison. And that ended John's public ministry. And it's interesting that when, Je- when Jesus heard that, John had been put in prison, he departed to Galilee. At first people might say, well, maybe Jesus is running away from Herod, until you realize that Herod is also the Tetrarch of Galilee. So Jesus wasn't running away from Herod. Why then did Jesus depart to Galilee? Uh, Let me suggest uh, that we might find our answer in uh, John chapter 3. John chapter 3 and verse 22 says, After these things, Jesus and his disciples came into the land of Judea, and there he remained with them and baptized. So we see Jesus' ministry early on seemed to have a focus in Judea. And why might that be? Verse 23, now John also was baptizing in Ainon near Salim because there was much water there. So they came and were baptized. Well, we see John and Jesus are kind of working side by side. They're not in the same location exactly. They're in different spots along the Jordan River. (coughs) Uh, Verse 24, for John had not yet been thrown in prison, Then there arose a dispute between some of John's disciples and the Jews about purification. This is a little bit of a distraction here, but John, uh, teaching apparently, uh, may have robbed robbed, uh, the uh, religious leaders uh, the wrong way, and there's some sort of uh, argument going on between John's disciple and his religious leaders. And they came to John and said to him, Rabbi, he who was with, be, uh, with you beyond the Jordan, to whom you have testified, behold, he is baptizing and all are coming to him. It uh, seems to be an attack directed at the um, popularity of John's ministry. It's kind of a, what you're teaching can't be right because you're no longer the most popular person around. Because... The person you testified of, Jesus, remember John testified of Jesus, he said, the one who comes after me, whose sandals I am not worthy to carry, and then he pointed to Jesus, this is the one that God sent to be the Messiah, it's not me, it's him. So John testified of him, and what do you know? More people are now going to Jesus They're not coming to John. And the the religious leaders are trying to use it as an argument against John's teaching. (laughs) It's like, you know, you're not so popular anymore, so you must be saying something wrong. You know, it's very dangerous, you know, as a church, if we judge the purity of our doctrine by the number of people who come to the service. Right? Uh, It's not, you know, the two don't necessarily go hand in hand. We'd love to see more people come. But... um, The purity of our doctrine comes from following the word of God, not from popularity. Um, To listen to John's response to the religious leaders, John answered and said, a man can receive nothing unless it has been given to him from heaven. You yourselves bear me witness that I said, I am not the Christ, but I have been sent before him. He who has the bride, that is Jesus, is the bridegroom. But the friend of the bridegroom, that is me, who stands and hears him rejoices greatly because of the bridegroom's voice. Therefore this joy of mine is fulfilled. He must increase, but I must decrease. John was happy that the people who were coming to him were being redirected to Jesus. And Jesus, was taking, I, I want to be careful how I said, advantage of that situation. Since God was using John to draw people, and John was preaching the, the, the baptism of repentance and preparing people for the Lord Jesus. That's why John came and then was redirecting people to Jesus. Jesus wanted to be there. That's the whole purpose that John was sent. I have a, a picture to show you that. Uh, in my mind, might, might kind of connect my theme of construction with what was happening. Uh, that's the excavation one, yeah. Uh, I don't know if you guys remember when we added this um, new auditorium to the church. It was a few years back. And uh, I was amazed by how much time they spent digging the ground. I mean, like I said, I love watching construction, so I was very excited that we were going to build this additional uh, chapel because it would provide me for, with an opportunity of watching the construction going on. And they kept digging in the ground and moving the dirt around and positioning it just so. I don't know, it seemed like at least a couple of months. And uh, that work has to be done before you can build a sound structure. You need the dirt in the right location. You need it packed at the right density to be able to handle the weight of the building that was gonna go on it. And then they were digging the holes where they would pour the concrete to put the support beams for the building. A lot of work goes into just preparing the ground. Let me suggest to you, that's what God was doing with John the Baptist. Luke 1 tells us, and he will turn many of the children of Israel to the Lord their God. He will also go before him in the spirit and power of Elijah, to turn the hearts of the fathers to the children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the just, to make ready a people prepared for the Lord. That's what John was doing. He was doing the groundwork. He was preparing the people, the children of Israel to receive Jesus as their Messiah. And the work John was doing was hard work. How do you bring people to repentance? If you found an easy way to do it, come and tell me after this message. It's hard work. And John was doing it, and Jesus was going to take full advantage of what John was doing because God sent him for that very purpose, right? Until John's ministry was over, which happened when John was placed in prison, right? And so that is why Jesus was nearby as long as John was ministering, And then when God closes that door of ministry, Jesus moves on to Galilee. Let me ask you a question. I have a picture here of a house. So I don't know if you see that little sign. That's a for sale sign. Uh, That is a condemned shack. At least that's the word they use in the internet. It's a it's a four bedroom, four bath house, but that doesn't matter because it's been condemned. It's in such poor condition, you're not allowed to live in it. Um, but it's on sale. How much would you pay? Location? Aha. <laughs> That's a good question. It is in San Francisco. The seller is asking for two point five million. Two point five million. And uh, he'll probably get it because uh, nearby houses are going for something like 3 million. So you realize most of the value is, as Colleen wisely asked, location, right? Location. Which location would Jesus pick to begin his ministry? Well, the answer for us is in the Gal- Galilee. Uh, I have a map of Galilee here. So Jesus was... Uh, seem to have been centered kind of along the Jordan River, uh, perhaps in Judea or uh, Perea or even Decapolis. And now he's going up to Galilee. That's the region in pink up there. He's leaving Nazareth, which is a little bit uh, west of the Sea of Galilee. And he's moving, uh, relocating to Capernaum, which uh, is right on the very top of the Sea of Galilee. Right? That's where Jesus decided to begin his ministry. Why? Why did Jesus find that location so valuable for his ministry? Let me suggest possible answers. We're not actually told that in the scripture why he picked that place. Actually, there's an answer given here, which is he was fulfilling a prophecy. But you can't, Jesus wasn't living his life trying to fulfill prophecy prophecies. Prophecies were fulfilled naturally during Jesus' ministry because God was looking at Jesus' ministry from the past and he was telling us what was going to happen. So, you can't use fulfillment of prophecy as the purpose of why Jesus picked the Galilee. Let me suggest to you three reasons that are consistent with what we learn in the Gospels. The first one, the Galilee seemed to be somewhat less religious than Judea or Jerusalem. In Judea or Jerusalem, the religious leaders are very established and they are opposed to Jesus. And Jesus' ministry doesn't go very far in Jerusalem because of the opposition of the religious leaders. Um, Galilee seems to be a little bit more secular of a region. The people were still Jews. They still worshiped the God of Israel. They still had the Old Testament, they still followed it, they followed the laws. Uh, so they seemed to still be sincere in, in their desire for God, but they didn't seem to be as stifled by the hypocritical religion of the day. The religion of the day, as today unfortunately, tends to be full of hypocrites. And that was really uh, standing in Jesus' way in the religious south of Israel, whereas the north was more secular. And so while people were sincere in their interest in God, uh, they were more open uh, and maybe more real about uh, their interest. So spiritually, it was more attractive. Second, uh, the Galilee had a more diverse population. We will see Jesus sometime encounters Gentiles as he's ministering uh, in the Galilee. And uh, That fits with Jesus' plan, because even though Jesus was sent as Israel's Messiah, and his ministry was definitely focused on Israel, in his mind are the Gentiles, to whom the ministry will turn in full power after Jesus' death and resurrection. In the Galilee, he will already start interacting with Gentiles, and the people he's working with are people that are more comfortable with Gentiles, and would be more likely to bring the Gospel to the Gentiles, even we, though we see that there is some struggle, even with the Galilean Jews, to turn over to the Gentiles, uh, with the Gospel still, you would expect a lot more, uh, much more open mind toward the Gentiles compared to, say, Jerusalem. So you could think about it a little bit of a launching pod. Launching pod? Launching pad? <laughs> right, to the rest of the world. The Galilee is really would be a, a more diverse community where the gospel could flow out more easily to the rest of the world. Uh, third, uh, and that particularly might explain why Jesus moved uh, from Nazareth to Capernaum, if you show that slide quickly again. Uh, people, people in that day didn't seem to travel very much. If you go to uh, rural America just a 200 years ago, you'd find that people often didn't travel beyond a very limited distance from their homes. Uh, whereas in the Sea of Galilee, because of the sea, you tended to have a lot more interaction with uh, different communities. The way I think about it is a little bit like a megaphone. Uh, in those days, there were no megaphones, right? Uh, you could only preach as loud as your voice could carry. Uh, there was no radio to broadcast your message, there was no TV, there was no internet. And so the people who would hear Jesus' message were people within his earshot. And then the people who the people who were within Jesus' earshot might tell, right? So the Gospel could propagate a little bit word to mouth, but it would travel a lot more slowly if Jesus focused his ministry in Nazareth. By going to Capernaum and being part of this diverse community where people would cross the lake, uh, the, the word of Jesus would travel a lot faster. It's a little bit like the megaphone effect. Right? What Jesus said in Capernaum would very quickly travel to the other shores of the Sea of Galilee and then from there to the communities beyond. So a little bit doing what he could within the limitation of Israel's geography to get the word out to as many people as quickly as possible. Okay? So that's what made... Uh, Galilee and Capernaum, an attractive location for Jesus. Next consideration uh, we want to take of Jesus' ministry is what were the construction materials that Jesus has used. So, if you wanted to build a house, you'd need to start with certain construction materials. I don't think that old tire is part of it, but you'd need wood and you need bricks, you need concrete. You uh, need a bulldozer. A lot of things go into building a house. What did Jesus need in order to build God's temple? What did Jesus need in order to build God's temple? Well, we're told that inside this prophecy uh, quoted from the book of Isaiah, verse 16 says, The people who sat in darkness have seen a great light and upon those who sat in the region of uh, end shadow of death, light has dawned." What do you need to build God's temple? Well, you need people. What kind of people did Jesus start with? Well, they were people who dwelt in darkness. Uh, This speaks not of um, darkness as far as uh, the sunlight is concerned. There was certainly as much sunlight Uh, in Galilee in those days as we enjoy today in Fremont, California Uh, but there was a spiritual darkness even though these people had the word of God in their hand in the form of the Old Testament they didn't really know God we see uh, Jesus interacting with Nicodemus who was considered the teacher of Israel and Jesus rebukes him and says if you, a teacher of Israel doesn't understand these things right you know, where are we? (laughs) Right, uh, so the people were in spiritual darkness. They didn't really know God, just like people today you'll meet on the street probably don't really know God. Uh, they don't know uh, the way of salvation. All right, they were in spiritual darkness. They were in the region and shadow of death. I would break up the two. People today are in the region of death in that they're spiritually dead. Right? We have no relationship with the God. We were created to have a relationship with God, and yet um, we start out without a relationship with God. We don't know him. We don't have a relationship with him, and that makes us spiritually dead, or we're in the region or territory of death right now, right? unless you've been born again and come to have a relationship with the Lord Jesus. Uh, we're also... Under the shadow of death, and by that I think of the fear of death, Uh, we can all expect to, to come to the end of this life. And that could be a fearful thought, being in the shadow of death. And if we were spiritually discerning, we would know that physical death is really just the first step. And then there is the second death, which is an eternal separation from God in the lake of fire. So certainly, we are uh, in the region and in the shadow, under the shadow of death. This, this is the starting, this is the building material, this is the construction material that Jesus needs to use to build the holy temple of God. People who are in darkness, who are spiritually dead, and are in fear of physical and eternal death. How does Jesus transform us? We were... Worshiping the Lord for that in our morning meeting, in this passage, it's described as light. The people who sat in darkness have seen a great light. A great light has come. How did the great light come? John chapter 1 tells us about the Lord Jesus, that in him was life, and the life was the light of So Jesus is that light. It says in, uh, just skipping on to verse 9, that was the true light which gives light to every man coming into the world. What is it that gives us a knowledge of God? It's Jesus. Jesus came to give us a knowledge of God. God's love. For God so loved the world that he sent his only begotten son. Um, It says about him in verse 10, he was in the world and the world was made through him and the world did not know him. Not everybody received the Lord Jesus when he came. Not everybody today receives the Lord Jesus but but Uh, as many as received him, to them he gave the right to become children of God, to those who believe in his name. Jesus came as a great light to reveal to us God, and those who receive Christ are transformed from people who dwell in darkness, in the region and shadow of death, into children of God, having a relationship with him that will last for all of eternity. Delivering us, not just from ignorance, but also from the fear of death. I don't have to fear physical death, because when this body dies, I go to be with the Lord. I don't have to fear the second or eternal death. Jesus paid the penalty for my sins, and is preparing a home in heaven for me. So this is Jesus' construction materials, people, and the light, the light uh, that he was of of God, the light of God. Next we want to consider uh, Jesus's care in aligning uh, the temple of God. I have a picture that goes with that. This is what not to do when you're building a bridge. Um, How was Jesus careful in aligning his ministry Uh, Verse 17 tells us, from that time Jesus began to preach and to say, repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Uh, There's two parts for us to be reconciled to God. The first part is described in uh, 2 Corinthians 5. It says, now then we are ambassadors of Christ, as though God were pleading through us, We implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. For he made him who knew no sin to be sin for us, that we might become the righteousness of God in him. God has come the full distance he can come in order to be reconciled to to us. He took our sins. He placed our sins on his son, and on the cross, the Lord Jesus died for your sins and for mine, which allows God to receive you as his child. But the other part that needs to happen is you have to turn toward God and receive his salvation. You have to turn from your sins and turn to God. You cannot continue to live a life of sin and say, well, you know, I received the Lord Jesus, Uh, I prayed a prayer and uh, I was told that I'm a child of God. So now I choose to continue to live a life of sin, right? And I'm just trusting in what Jesus did to save me. Uh, Amos tells us, can two walk together unless they are agreed? You and God have to agree about your sin. God said, your sin is so terrible that it must be paid for by either you going to the lake of fire for all of eternity or by my son dying on the cross for your sin. I agree with God when I recognize that my sin is wrong and I say I want to stop doing it, it's wrong, it's disgusting in God's sight and I want instead to walk with God to live a life that is pleasing to God. That's repentance. And unless I am willing to do that, it's that bridge that misses each other. God has gone as far as He can in reconciling us to Himself, but if I'm not willing to repent of my sins, I can't have that salvation that Jesus came to bring me because I'm not willing to agree with God about my sin. The two things need to happen uh, for us to connect. So Jesus was aligning his ministry or his temple properly. Uh, next we want to consider the vision of Jesus' ministry and I have a picture for that too. Anybody recognizes what that is? Yeah, the Great Wall of China. Can anybody tell me uh, how long that wall is? Really long. As in thousands of miles long. Can anyone tell me how long did it take to build it? Couple hundred years, yeah. Uh, I think it was closer to 300, but you know, you'll, we'll give you partial credit for that one. Yeah, a long, long time. Uh, it means that the emperor that decided to build it was dead for hundreds of years before this was completed. Uh, the architect that might have drawn the lines and said, here's where we need to b- build the wall. He was dead for hundreds of years before this wall was actually completed. To build this wall required a vision. The same thing can be said about uh, the Lord Jesus. He was going to build a temple uh, for God that would span thousands of years. And uh, it was going to encompass the whole world. Remember, Jesus was ministering in Galilee, in the land of Israel, a very limited, if you look at the whole globe, it would be a speck. And uh, he was to reach a whole world, and, and his, his work of building the temple was going to take, it's already been a couple thousand years, we don't know how long. We're hoping the Lord Jesus is coming back today. But if he's not coming back for 1,000 years, this work will continue for another 1,000 years. And so Jesus had a vision for the work, and that vision required the training of others to do that job. He wasn't going to be able to do that work, not in the form of his earthly ministry. So we have to be careful. Jesus did the complete work for our salvation on the cross. Right? He paid for the sins of every man Child and woman that will ever live. And he rose from the dead, demonstrating that that was accepted by God. Right? But as far as his earthly ministry, as far as going on and carrying the gospel to each and every person, Jesus couldn't do it as a man. Right? And so he selects others. And we see that in a passage Jesus walking by the Sea of Galilee saw two brothers, Simon called Peter. And Andrew's brother, he gets them along with the. He says, follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. You will start getting men and bringing men to God's kingdom. Isn't that a better job than gathering fish into your boat? And he walks on, and he sees two other brothers sitting in a boat, James and John, mending their nets, and he does the same thing. Come on, follow me. Follow me, and they follow him. And Jesus will gather more we will see as we continue in our study of the Gospel of Matthew with the purpose of training them. And so we see Jesus is balancing his work, yes, he is, he's preaching the Gospel for people to come uh, to faith and believe and be saved, but he's also spending his time training people to continue the work. And those people would have to train other people, and those people would have to train other people, right, to, do, to build the temple of God the temple that God, uh, that Jesus started. Before you start construction, typically you would need something like this. Right? Uh, A building permit. Before we could start building this uh, chapel, we needed to go to the city of Fremont. And uh, they asked for plans. We had plans. And then they said, well, your plans are kind of old, so we want them updated. So we had to update our plans, and then the plans went from one office to another in the uh, city hall uh, to get approved that uh, we're doing the foundations correctly, uh, you know, we're doing the, the water correctly, we're doing the heat correctly, uh, there's no fire hazards, there's proper number of exits. Right? A lot of stamps had to happen to show that we had the authority to build this building by the city of Fremont, and that it was being built up to code. It was going to stand the test of time, hopefully. We'll see how long this building stands. Jesus also had, if you would, this stamp of approval, and that's the rest of the passage in Matthew uh, 4.23 and on. It talks about Jesus healing all kinds of sickness and all kinds of disease. His fame goes out. And then throughout all Syria, Syria is a large province in the Roman Empire. So now it's really going beyond the limits of the nation of Israel. And everybody is bringing those sick people to Jesus, and uh, demon-possessed epileptic people like this, and Jesus is healing them. Why is Jesus doing these miracles? When Jesus healed five thousand people, didn't heal five. He fed five thousand people with five loaves and and two fish. Uh, the people were excited, and they showed up the next morning for breakfast. And Jesus says, you're missing the point. In uh, John 6, 27, he says, do not labor for the food which perishes, meaning the food he gave them. Yes, I fed you yesterday, and yes, you're you know, going here and there trying to find me so you can get an- another meal, but don't labor for the food which perishes, but for the food which endures to everlasting life which the Son of Man will give you because God the Father has set his seal on him that's what you saw in that permit if you notice there was a seal that said approved, approved approved and that's what God was doing with Jesus with these miracles he was putting a stamp approved, approved Approved Every time he was healing a person miraculously, how can Jesus do it? Only the power of God could do what Jesus was doing. And God was putting his seal on approval of Jesus. This is the man, and this is the way to eternal life. And so what you need to do isn't come to Jesus to be healed of your sicknesses. It isn't come to Jesus to receive bread. It's come to Jesus to have eternal life. That was the purpose of the miracles. Jesus even goes as far as this in John 10. He says, if I do not do the works of my Father, meaning the miracles, do not believe me, but if I do, though you do not believe me, believe the works that you may know and believe that the Father is in me and I in him. Okay, I promised you application. Application. Where is the building project of Christ today? Where is this temple that he is building? Christians, Christians, yeah. Look around. Paul says, for we are God's fellow workers. You are God's field. You are God's building. According to the grace of God which was given to me, as a wise master builder, I have laid the foundation, and another builds on it. But let each one take heed how he builds on it. It seems to me like Paul is almost, you know, making kind of a general invitation. Well, if you wanna participate in God's building project, you're welcome to, but be careful how you do it. Be careful how you're building on it, what can we learn about building God's temple? If we want to be part of the work of building God's temple, I would suggest we couldn't do much better than looking at Jesus as our example. Right, now, be careful. I'm not, we can't do the work that only Jesus could do, which was dying on the cross for our sins, rising from the dead, uh, miracles. You know, Unless God chose us to give us the gifts of miracles, which he could. Uh, we're not going to be able to do that, but uh, Jesus served the Lord. He was building the kingdom in his earthly ministry, which we looked at this morning. What of that can we apply to ourselves? How can what what lessons can we apply from what Jesus was doing that we could actually do as well in building God's kingdom? First, uh, there was the preparation. Right, Jesus depended upon. God preparing people for him through the ministry of John the Baptist. We have to depend on God's work in people's heart to bring them to repentance. We have, we're limited in what we can do, but we have God's promise that he will be doing it. In John sixteen eight, Jesus speaking of the Holy Spirit saying, and when he has come, He will convict the world of sin and of righteousness and of judgment. Previous verse, Jesus says that it's your benefit that I am living because if I don't live, I won't send the Holy Spirit, and when the Holy Spirit has come. So this is a promise. Jesus has sent the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is working in the hearts of people convicting them of their sins, which means two things. Um, You know, it's something that I can't do. It's something that the Holy Spirit needs to do. But the Holy Spirit is right now in this world working in the hearts of people. And we need to trust God for that work, and we need to look for evidence of that work. Not everybody Jesus preached to believed. Not everyone Jesus preached to was convicted of their sins. A lot of them were hard-hearted and not open to the message of Jesus. But there were people who have been touched. There were people in whose heart God has been working, bringing them to conviction of sin. And those were the ones Jesus focused his ministry on. And we need to be doing the same. We need to trust God that he is in this world doing the work of conviction of sin. Look for those people. Listen to people. Ask people questions. You know, Pray for discernment to find those people. Pray for God to be doing that work in people's hearts. Right? It's a work that must be done, like the excavation of the ground before a building is built. We need that to happen. But we should be encouraged knowing that God is doing that work. And we need to find where it is going on and, as fellow workers with God, uh, work in the lives of those people. Second, uh, location. Jesus picked Galilee. Uh, this is a tricky one for me to follow Jesus' example. I would say this. You have to start where God saved you. That's the instruction we have in the scriptures. Paul was even telling people, you know, you were saved as a slave, That's stay as a slave and serve God there. Right? If you were a free person, well, stay a free person. If you were married, stay married. If you were unmarried, stay unmarried. Wherever you are, there try to serve God. God put you in a... Environment you're uniquely suited to, right? You're co-workers with people that don't know him. You have an opportunity to connect with them in ways I don't. Uh, you are neighbors to people I'm not a neighbor to. You have an opportunity to connect with them in a way I can. You're a member in a family that I am not a member of, and you have opportunities to connect with the members of your family like no one else can. So where you are, that's where you want to start. Certainly, it's possible that God at some point will call you to other fields. right? We know people who've gone to the mission fields, and we praise the Lord for calling them and directing their steps, but start where you are. Uh, Second, construction materials to build God's temple are all around us. It's composed of sinners and the Word of God. Right? The Word of God, the light of God's revelation applied to sinners. And yes, we do need those who God has done some work in and are convicted of their sin, but that's all we need, sinners and the Word of God, to be building God's kingdom, God's holy temple. Alignment. We want to be careful to be aligning the beams correctly in God's holy temple. And that means two things. We have to be rested on the complete work of Christ for the payment of our sins. God has come all the way. He has come all the way. But people need to repent of their sins. They need to agree with God about the sin. Or oh, that connection is not gonna form. Things are not gonna be aligned in God's holy temple if you have people who say, well, yeah, I'm saved. Because Jesus died for my sins, but I'm going to live my own life doing what I want to do. Either right? something out of alignment. Those are two bridges that did not connect. A vision, we want to keep a balance between reaching the lost and building up those who have come to saving knowledge of the Lord Jesus. We want to invest in them like Jesus invested in his disciples, training them up preparing them to reach others, or God's kingdom won't go anywhere, right? If, if, if I'm the only one who will be serving God, it's not gonna progress. It has to be me passing along to others so they pass along to others, and that's the only way this world can be reached uh, for Christ. Finally, God's seal of approval, like I said, uh, we can't do miracles, or I can't do miracles, I don't know about you. Uh, It's a gift. Uh, God was putting his seal on Jesus like he never put it on anybody else because Jesus was, is the way of salvation. For some time after Jesus came, uh, the gift of miracles was given to the apostles. And I think that was, again, strategic by God because you had the Jewish religious leaders who claimed we're following God. You know, we have the temple. You know, we are the descendants of Aaron, right? We have, you know, the scriptures, the knowledge, so follow us. And then you had a bunch of fishermen and tax collectors saying, no, actually, we know the true way to God. Who are you going to follow? Well, God made it clear who was teaching the truth by pouring the gifts of of miracles, of healing, on the apostles. So you could tell, aha, this is where God's seal of approval rests on. Uh, today, I don't know if it's necessary, God could choose to give us the gifts of miracle or give somebody else the gifts of miracles. I, I seem to hear more of miracles happening today in places that the gospel hasn't reached before, like uh, India, China, places where people may need some evidence because they've just never heard the message before and God wants them to know that this really is the truth. Here is my silver approval. But what about us today in Fremont, California? Jesus says this uh, Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven. It's actually our good works that our God's seal of approval in our lives. It's the change. It requires the power of God for me to do good works. I can't do it by my own power. And like healing, it really displays the character of God, what God is like. And that becomes my seal of approval. Let me close with this. When I came to this church some 22 years ago, uh, What got to me wasn't uh, the power of the preaching, Uh, it wasn't uh, the beautiful people that were coming to this church, Uh, it was that uh, people wanted to know what it is that God wanted them to do, and then they would do it. Uh, They asked questions in the Sunday school. They shared application. And I could tell, here are people who truly and honestly believe in God and think that it's of their uh, greatest benefit to do exactly what God tells them to do. And so it challenged my unbelief. Before coming to this church, I was an atheist or agnostic. And I didn't take God seriously at all. But seeing people who had genuine faith that God exists, which I could see because of what they were doing, right, challenged me to the core and made me realize, how do I know that I'm right and these people are wrong? <laughs> made me realize, maybe these people are right and I'm wrong. And that started me seeking. So what is our seal of approval today? It's good works. It's living the simple Christian life. Seeking God's will and doing it. And without it, nothing we, we say will impact anybody at all. It has to be real in your life before people will listen to what you say to them. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the Lord Jesus. We thank you that he is our Redeemer. He, he did the full work of salvation. And uh, we thank you that we can participate in the building of of your holy temple. We thank you that we get to be part of your holy temple, that you desire us to be members of it. And we ask that you might uh, help us be part of that work. Help us see the work that the Holy Spirit is doing today in convicting men and women and children of their sins. And I uh, know how could we shine the light of God's word, work? How can we live a life that is faithful to your word, that, helps people believe the light, the message that we share with them. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.